this verse that we're going to be looking at tonight is sort of a conclusion to the Beatitudes. In chapter 5 of Matthew, verse number 13, is the verse we'll be reading. And Jesus said to his disciples in verse 13, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the salt of the earth. We're titling the message tonight, Chloride Christians. Well, it's part of the makeup. I think, let's see, it's uh, chlorine and sodium combines to make table salt. And so, chloride Christians, you got to be salty Christians. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you'd bless us tonight. Lord, help us to not just peruse the scripture, but Lord, to absorb it, to make it part of our lives. And Lord, to make it, uh, according to the Holy Spirit, part of our daily life, that we might be those with a testimony that we are doing our work of influencing this world. We pray that you'd bless us tonight as we study in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Various names uh, God gives to his children in the Bible. Uh, sometimes he calls his children sheep, uh, lambs. Uh, sometimes he calls them brethren or little ones. And in this verse, he calls us salt. And so you got a nickname tonight. Your salt. And we're going to look into this thing of being salty Christians, uh, chloride Christians. And we have a responsibility. Uh, I believe this refers to our testimony in the world and how we have a responsibility to influence the world about us. Now, there's people on social media that call themselves uh, influencers. <laughs> and I'm not sure that they're influencing uh, a lot of good, but... We can influence for good as Christians if we follow what Jesus said here. Uh, God's rule over the universe has not ended. Now, Jesus came, and in Matthew chapter 5, when he spoke the Sermon on the Mount, he was giving instructions for the ethical makeup of his kingdom, a kingdom that he offered the Jews at that time. And as we've stated a number of times in this series, uh, the Jewish leaders, the uh, religious leaders rejected Jesus and so he withdrew his offer of an immediate kingdom because they rejected him. So then the church becomes a parenthesis in a period of time that we live in right now and then when the rapture takes place and we go up, Christians go up and out, we'll be with Jesus during the time of the great tribulation for the next seven years after that rapture. And then at the end of that tribulation time, we'll be coming back with him. And at that point, we'll come down to earth with him. He'll set up his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. And after that, all eternity. But during that thousand years, we will experience what the Israelites would have had in that thousand year kingdom if they had accepted, it, accepted him at that time. And so we get to be in on it when he comes back. And this will be the character and the characteristics of his kingdom. Now you and I who are saved, uh, since God hadn't relinquished his rule over the universe, although he does let Satan have his run around the world at this time, we who have accepted Christ have the king reigning in our hearts. And so we are living in his kingdom. And New Testament Christians look to Jesus 
even now as the king, even before that thousand-year reign starts. And these characteristics that's mentioned in the Beatitudes and throughout the Sermon on the Mount, uh, beginning in chapter 5 and going on for several uh, chapters after, we see how that kingdom would be conducted and the inward nature of those subjects of the king of which you and I are spiritually right now. And so we are to have those characteristics within us as we await the physical kingdom to arrive. We should have those characteristics in us. And so therefore, if we do what's been preached about and read about in the previous verses of Matthew chapter 5, in the Beatitudes, if we have those characteristics, then we will exert a, an influence over the world around us. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Chloride Christians, what can we do? Well, we move into this idea of salty Christians now. And number one, we want to uh, see a, a description to analyze. He says, ye are, ye are the salt of the earth. So he's given you a name, given me a name. We are the salt of earth. We have this, this property of salt. And so people don't, often think, sit around and think, boy, I'm really thankful for salt. <laughs> now, I do, when I'm sitting at the table, uh, Aaron made soup yesterday, and uh, boy, I love soup in cold weather, don't you? And he made some good soup, and I'm sitting there eating it, and uh, I get up and go and get the salt shaker and the pepper shaker. I don't care what you're serving when I eat. Uh, don't be offended if I grab a salt shaker and pepper shaker and, and give it an extra dash or two, because I love salt and I love pepper. And I mean, pepper's good on vanilla ice cream, right? And so I like salt and I like pepper. And salt has its place. And I don't sit around and think about how great salt is until I taste something that needs salt. Then I'm thankful for salt. Put a few dashes in there and taste it. And uh, after about a pound of adding salt to my bowl of soup, I think, man, that word there, salt is really good. Well, the Lord is using salt to refer to us as his people in this particular time. You know, a salt, if you, didn't, if you didn't have a certain amount of salt in your bloodstream, you'd die. <laughs> salt is necessary. There's people that go to the doctor, and most of the time doctors are telling us, don't, don't eat too much salt. Too much salt will make you have high blood pressure and all of that stuff. Uh, I don't want to go to the point where one guy we had in our church back years ago, we had just started, and one guy was preaching in a nursing home, uh, Brother Chad, <laughs> and he went to the nursing home. He's telling me when he got back, and uh, he was kind of the kind of guy that kind of uh, went overboard about some things. And he was preaching on uh, it might have been this text about salt, and uh, and he told those people in the nursing home. He said, "I don't care what your doctor says. Salt's good for you. Eat lots of salt." And he came back and told me about that. I said. Brother Winder, you're probably going to get us kicked out of that nursing home. <laughs> you go in there and tell them to ignore you, their doctor. I don't think that's going to be good for us. So I don't want to go to that point, but I am saying that salt is necessary for life. And salt is a sustainer of life. In the ocean, there are more life forms in the salt water than there are in fresh water. Because salt is a sustainer of life. When you cry, your tears have salt in them. When you sweat, your, your sweat has salt in it. And so you have to have a certain amount of salt. And if your salt level drops too low, the doctor may say, man, we've got we to raise your sodium level a little bit. And so your sodium and uh, what's that other one that bananas got in it? Huh? 
Potassium, yeah. You've got to get your sodium and potassium level just right. Uh, I'll have a medical degree pretty soon, and I can tell you exactly how this works. Salt is a sustainer of life. It's also a preservative. It, it, it uh, retards spoilage and food, and so we use salt. Uh, back, uh, back when I was a little kid, my grandpa, and I, he was an old-timer. My grandpa was born in the 1880s, and in the fall of the year, I remember uh, we called it hog killing weather when, when you got a couple of frosts and it would kill all the flies and the insects and so then they'd kill hogs and they'd, they'd uh, cut up all this fat and I remember seeing my granny out there with a big old kettle oh, and build a fire under it. She was just like Granny Clampett. I'm not kidding you. She looked, does anybody in here not know granny, granny Clampett? You don't know Granny Clampett? Pray for him. You got to watch the Beverly Hillbillies. I mean, this is like the Three Stooges. You don't have a real education until you know Jed Clampett and his clan and uh, the Three Stooges. But I'd see my granny out there, and she'd have something that looked like a boat paddle, and she'd have this big old cast iron kettle with a fire built under it, and she's stirring that uh, and rendering down that fat into lard. And while she's doing that, Papa's out in the smokehouse, out behind the house, and he's got all these cuts of meat that he's chopped up from that hog, and it's got hams and shoulders and, and midlands. Now, everybody knows what midlands are too, right? Huh? Alan does. He knows what a midland is. Don't you? He don't either. <laughs> and, he's our, and he's our barbecue guy. Man, there's no telling what he'll cook us. <laughs> he'll probably be cooking snake or something. And so... The Midland, I, I think the Midland is what they cut the bacon out of, and uh, that's what the old folks called it. And so had all these, he had all these hunks of meat laying up on a wooden shelf that he'd built in the smokehouse, and he'd salt those babies down. There'd be a crust of salt like a half inch or an inch thick on all of that meat. And he'd flip it over, and he'd salt the other side down. Sometimes they'd mix some sugar with the salt. And uh, now if, you, if he hadn't salted those down... It would have spoiled in just a little while. I mean, pork spoils easy anyway. It's like chicken. And he'd salt those down, and they'd lay there all winter. And you could go in there and take that middling and take a big old butcher knife and cut off some thick slices of bacon and throw those in the skillet, cook them on that wood cook stove that Granny had. Ooh, I'm telling you, that was good stuff, man. And she'd make some fresh biscuits and gravy and fry some eggs to go with that, with that salt pork. And, man, it was good. Now, if you didn't salt it down, it wouldn't be preserved. And, by the way, you can take some of those little hams and slice some of the slices of that salt-cured, salt-and-sugar-cured ham, throw it in the skillet, and uh, the drippings left over in that, you can make some fine red-eye gravy out of it, boy. And you can baptize a biscuit in that stuff, and, it, man, it was larping good. Well, salt is a preservative. In the scriptures, it's said to be, in Leviticus 2.13, it's a symbol of a binding covenant with God uh, for Israel in the Old Testament. And then in 2 Kings 2.20, it's called a healing and cleansing aid. They would, you ever heard the, the saying, rubbing salt in the wound? I mean, it would burn and it would hurt, but you rub the salt in the, in the wound and that was a cleansing agent that it would get rid of... Uh, of the pus and the infection and keep things from getting worse. And uh, then it's also in Job 6, 6, it's a stimulant to the appetite. Yeah. Uh, I think Job said something about, 
I like eggs, but not without salt. <laughs> you got to have a little salt, you know. And if you're making chili, you got to have a lot of salt. And so salt is, is an aid to the appetite. It's also a preventive uh, to decay in Luke 14, 34. It prevents decay. A lot of times your doctor or your dentist will tell you to mix up salt water and either swish it around your gums to help with gum disease or tooth infection or to gargle it. Your doctor may tell you to gargle it for sore throat or tonsillitis or something like that. And so it's a preventive of decay. It's a promoter of peace, Mark 9.50. It's a stimulant to our testimony in the verse we just read in Matthew 5.13. And it's an evidence of grace in Colossians 4.6 uh, that you're to be, let your speech be seasoned with salt. And so we're called as Christians to be salt. I think it's fitting that this verse comes right after the Beatitudes because it kind of seals all those Beatitudes up. If, you're, if you have the characteristics mentioned in those Beatitudes, then that brings you to the place of being real salt, a salty Christian, uh, one who can preserve. Salt does a lot for us and in America today, I'm telling you, we could use a lot of preservative in America today, couldn't we? And we need more Christianity. There was a time when, when uh, our morals were not as decayed as they are now. And it's because Christianity has been shoved to the side. God's kicked out of the schools and out of government and out of the public arena in many places. And they try to do away with God. And because they've done that, we have less preserving salt around us. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalteth a nation. When we have godly people who are living out that godliness, it acts as a preservative and it exalts a nation. But when we do the things that America is doing today and we call that which is evil good, then we begin to have a moral decay in our nation. And so we have a preserving ability. And as salt, we also have a penetrating ability. Salt will penetrate and infiltrate. It soaks in. And this is what the Christians do. We're supposed to soak into the society around us and, and live out our convictions and our testimony. And, and we infiltrate those around us and we spread the gospel, the saving gospel of Christ and as we spread the gospel and people get saved guess what it penetrates the gospel penetrates it's kind of like networking you know some of the uh, some of the marketing ideas today use uh, uh, multi-level marketing where you enlist somebody and then you make money off of what they sell and then they enlist somebody and and now you're making money off of what they sell and what they sell and and networking just kind of spreads and as Christians, we're not trying to make money out of the gospel. We're trying to save souls with the gospel. And so we penetrate. Salt penetrates. And then there's a purifying ability. In, uh, in 2 Kings 2.19, uh, Elisha cleansed the waters at Jericho with salt. And in, in ancient times, newborn babies, guess what they did? The newborn babies, they would, they would wash them in salt to cleanse their bodies. Now, I don't think they do that anymore, but back in those days before uh, we had technology and doctors and, and medicine, they would do that, and it worked. 
uh, salt in a wound can cleanse the area. And so it's, it has a purifying effect. Uh, every meat offering uh, that was made with salt in Leviticus, the meat offerings uh, would be a purifying effect on that meat offering. God would accept it. And so as we offer our lives to the Lord as an offering, look at, at Romans chapter 12. Go with me there if you would in your Bible. In Romans chapter number 12, you, you know the, the verses here. Let's apply it to our subject tonight. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Okay, now keep in mind the Old Testament sacrifice, when this salt sacrifice, it, it purified it and made it an acceptable offering. And here he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice here in the New Testament, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so when we present ourselves as an offering to God, I remember hearing the story, and you've probably heard it too, the, the one guy that when the church was taking up an offering one day, the one guy said, I don't have anything uh, money-wise to give, but he asked the usher if he could take the plate for a minute, and he put it on the floor, and he stepped over in the plate, and he said, all I've got is to give the Lord myself. And so all of us really ought to do that. I mean, not get an offering plate necessarily, but we ought to offer ourselves as a, as a sacrifice to God. Make ourselves an offering. You know, he's more interested in you as an offering than he is your money. Now, don't quit giving, <laughs> but he's more interested first and foremost with you personally giving yourself to the Lord. If you give yourself to the Lord, then your monetary offerings are more valuable to him. But he'd rather have you than the money. We offer our, our lives as an offering and it, as we do that, we make ourselves to be worth our salt. You ever heard that saying? He's not worth his salt or he's worth his salt. That got started because salt was valuable in the ancient world and the Roman soldiers would actually get paid in salt a lot of times if there was no money. They paid them in salt. And so therefore... If, uh, if the salt had lost its savor, it wasn't good anymore, uh, it was said that he's not worth his salt. In other words, if the guy wasn't doing his job very well, he wasn't worth the salt he was getting paid. Not worth his salt. Well, you and I ought to be worth our salt. And then salt also has a pleasing ability. Um, bringing out the best. Salt, think about this. Salt brings out the best. When you cook barbecue, your salt, your rub usually has some brown sugar and red pepper, and it's got salt in it too, doesn't it? Black pepper and stuff. Salt. Uh, salt has a pleasing effect, and it brings out the best in foods. I love pinto beans. I just love, I grew up eating pinto beans and cornbread, and and me and Brother Connor love those things, don't we? <laughs> uh, beans are great, but have you ever eaten them without salt? Without salt and pinto beans, man, they're just yuck. 
it's not really worth eating, you know. And so salt makes the food pleasing. It brings out the best. And for a Christian who is a salty Christian, you're a chloride Christian, you bring out the best in others around you. It brings out the best in you. It brings out the best in your church. It brings out the best in your society. The Scots have a word called tang. And tang means a delightful, zesty flavor. Uh, it's got some zip to it. Now see, that's what beans without salt has no zip. It's just flat. But a Christian who is worth their salt, they have a zest to them that helps bring out the best in society around them. Brings out the best. Sometimes a husband or a wife uh, brings out the best in each other. Adds zest to life. And that's what being a sold out Christian Chloride Christian does for us. It, as we go out into society, we bring out the best. But then salt also has a poisoning ability as well. It kills some things. <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, we used to uh, have no wooden ice cream freezer, and you had the little metal can in the middle of it and a hand crank, and, and we'd put the milk and vanilla and sugar mixture in the can and then fill around the outside between the can and the wooden bucket with ice and salt that ice down. And you'd crank and crank and crank. Man, it seemed like an eternity, especially when you're a kid and you're wanting to eat the ice cream right now. And you got to crank on that thing and crank on that thing. And finally it's frozen and you're ready to eat it. And uh, after the ice cream was gone, Dad had me go pour the pour the salt water out where the ice had melted and left all that salt in there. I poured it out, and I noticed a few days later where I dumped it. I mean, that grass, this was summertime, and the grass was brown and dead. Salt can, can poison some things, and you know what it does with a salty Christian is it can poison sin around you. Uh, when we live close to the Lord and we're, we're holy and acceptable, we've given our life to God as a pleasing sacrifice, when we're living close to the Lord, uh, we just kind of have a, a poisoning effect to sin. You ever notice a lot of times, uh, I, I remember Joey saying this when he, when he went to work, uh, that a lot of the guys were pretty foul-mouthed. And when they found out he was a Christian, he was always praying over his food at lunchtime, stuff like that. They found out he was, they call, I think they call him preacher now. And... Uh, he said now when they go in to eat, they, he said at first they just ignore him when he's praying over his food. Now they ask him before they start eating, they ask him in the lunchroom to go ahead and pray for their food too. And, and, uh, and they, he said they even watch their mouth. He said don't cuss near as much. <laughs> so uh, that, that saltiness of the Christian kind of has a poisoning effect to the sin around you. And people begin to watch their mouth around you and they don't tell the dirty jokes as much around you. Now if you're, if you're a salty Christian, now, if you've been influenced too much by the world and you act just like the world and they think you're part of the world and you're not a Christian, then they'll tell those dirty jokes around you and they'll expect you to laugh too. But when you don't laugh, if they do tell one around you, you don't laugh, then they know something's different about you. And you've got that, you've got that 
saltiness about you that just kind of poisons the sin around you and they don't do the same stuff. Now that doesn't save them or keep them from sinning, but it tones it down and has a deadening effect on some of that sin. I mean, salt just kills some things. You ever pour salt on a slug? Anybody ever do that? Man, you pour a little salt on a slug. Now this is cruel. Don't tell Peter. They probably think those things have a soul. Uh, you pour salt on a slug and man, he'll just melt. Uh, salt has a a possibility of killing things. But on the other hand, we as Christians don't want to let that poisoning effect poison our brethren and our families. And if we, if we are not the right kind of Christian, if we're not dedicated to the Lord and to His Word, we can begin to say harsh things or do harsh things to those around us and that it will poison them. If you're always criticizing somebody in your family, you know what that does? It has a poisoning effect. If you tell your children, you're dumb, you won't ever amount to anything, you're ugly, you tell them those kinds of things, and guess what? It's going to poison them. They, those kids tend to live up to what you say. And if you give them something to, worthwhile to live up to, it's a lot better. It'll cause growth instead of deadening. Christianity is a pure poison, though, to sin. You say, well, what about turning the other cheek? We, we would get into that a little bit later if we were to go through this whole Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said to his disciples, you're to turn the other cheek. Somebody smites you on the cheek, you're to turn the other cheek. What does that mean anyway? Does that mean that, that if we're going to be a salty Christian, that would interfere? Would that contradict what Jesus said about turning the other cheek? Um, no. Jesus never contradicted himself about anything. And the word of God never contradicts itself about anything. What Jesus meant by turning the other cheek, he wasn't talking about giving up your right to protect yourself or protect your family or to protect your nation. Uh, he's not talking about that. But turning the other cheek is giving up your right to demand that you're your own honor be defended. You know, if somebody insults you, you're not supposed to insult them back to get even with them. He didn't mean that if a bad guy comes up and pulls a gun on you and you can outdraw him and pull the trigger first, he didn't mean you wasn't supposed to protect yourself. Or some guy comes along and tries to mistreat your wife or your children, uh, you know, smack them. <laughs> uh, I don't think Jesus meant laying down and being a doormat for anybody. But he did mean that if I'm personally insulted, then I'm not supposed to hurl insults back. Turn the other cheek. You know, it's not a tragedy for our character to be called into question. Now, I'd rather not be criticized. And the good thing about being a pastor is you never get criticized. <clears throat> Nobody ever hurts your feelings because... We have, uh, we have what Charles Spurgeon said. We've, we've got a, dove, a dove's heart, but he also said you've got to have skin like a rhinoceros. <laughs> and so everybody can get their feelings hurt. It doesn't mean we ought to hurt people back. And the amens were deafening. <laughs> then there's a promoting ability of salt. When I say a promoting ability, I'm saying that salt promotes something like thirst. 
You ever eat something real salty for supper and then, boy, it's bedtime or maybe you wake up in the middle of the night and you're starving to death for a drink. You know, you're just thirsty. Salt makes you thirsty. And for the Christian who is a salty, chloride Christian, you're living close to God. You are the salt of the world. And because of your influence to those around you, you will make them crave or thirst for the water of life. See, when we, when we look like, act like, and talk like, and live our lives like we're a Christian, it ought to stir up a thirst in them to say, boy, whatever they've got, that's what I need. And every Christian ought to live that way, that, that man, we cause a thirst among the lost people to say, I don't know what he's got, but I've got to have it. Uh, can I go to church with you next Sunday? Uh, let me think about it. Yeah, no, you're welcome to go. <laughs> and we ought to be... We ought to be causing a thirst in others to know the Lord. We can point people to Jesus and share with them the water of life. And then there's a approving ability of salt. It changes just about everything it touches. And when talking about changes, salt changes things and a salty Christian changes things. There's a difference between a, a thermostat and a thermometer. A thermometer just moves up and down with the heat. If it gets cool in here, the thermometer drops. It follows the lack of heat. If the heat goes up, the thermometer goes up. But the thermostat doesn't do that. The thermostat, when it, when it detects a need for heat, it changes things. It boosts the heat back up. When there's a loss of heat, it brings it back up. Summertime, when it gets too hot, that thermostat says, hey, it's getting too hot in here, and it kicks on the air conditioner and brings that temperature back where it's supposed to be. And a Christian who is a salty, chloride Christian, we don't just go with the flow with the world. And just because the world does something, we don't do it. We as Christians know what, what the Word of God teaches, and we tend to be salty Christians that affects the change for up or down. Hey, when the world says, ladies, cut that hemline just a little bit higher because after all, uh, boys must be boys and they like to look. Uh, no, you just, a, a thermostat Christian, a salty Christian says, well, that doesn't matter to me how high so society raises their hemline. Mine's not going up there. Uh, lower that, uh, lower that uh, collar so the cleavage can show because after all, that's in style. That's the fad. And a salty Christian says, no, not for me. Uh, I believe the Bible teaches modesty. And I'm not going to be a thermometer that goes up and down with the world. I'm going to be a thermostat that says, nope, we're cutting it off right there. <laughs> not going any further. And when the guys say, well, come on, go out with us. We'll have a few beers. Uh, no, I'm not going to have any. I don't think you should either. <laughs> When I got saved, I, I dumped out. I went home. Boy, oh boy. And nobody told me to do this. I just somehow the Lord impressed on me as the right thing to do. I had, I had booze hid out everywhere. I mean, I had it where I wouldn't have to take more than three or four steps to get it anywhere in my house. I, I, made, I made homemade beer and homemade wine, and I bought stuff at the liquor store too and kept it in the cabinets. And, and when I got saved, I went home and started pouring that stuff out because that's what a Christian should do. 
I hadn't even heard a sermon on it at that time. I just knew that was the right thing to do. But we got a lot of dopey Christians today that thinks drinking's, you know, it's just, it's just a social thing to do. They're thermometer Christians. They go up and down the society. Well, I poured mine out and had some guys get mad at me. They thought I should have gave it to them instead of pouring it out. I said, well, you know, I was thinking about that, and I figured if it's not good for me, it's not good for you either. <laughs> well, I didn't hear any more about that. Well, there is a description that we've looked at, and then there is a possibility of a danger. Uh, the danger here in, in chapter 5, verse 13, it says, Ye are the salt of the world, but the conjunction is there for a reason. But if the salt have lost his savor or his saltiness, his flavor, his zest, if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. He's saying if, that's giving the possibility that a Christian can lose, not their salvation, but their saltiness. And that happens when we come in too, too close contact with the world and we begin to think, well, that's what everybody else is doing. I don't want to seem to be too different, you know. Why do they think we're so radical? You know, you guys got to live in the real world. No, we are living in the real world. God created the real world. And it's those who deny the Bible that's living in the make-believe. We're living in light of eternity. That's real. And then there's a destiny to abhor. And that is when the salt is cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. They had this salt that would come, they would mine it out of the cliffs of the Dead Sea or sometimes salt water from the Dead Sea would be evaporated and they'd take salt. I still use those processes today. By the way, I read something about this that has nothing to do with our sermon, but I just thought I'd throw it in. You know, some people only use sea salt. Don't use that table salt. I read an article that said all salts, sea salt. <laughs> you know, it, it was all made when the, when the waters evaporated and whether it was mined out of, the, out of a cliff or whether it came up out of the sea and then waters evaporated, it all came because of its uh, salinity of being in a pool of water somewhere a long time ago. And they would mine this salt out of those cliffs uh, south of Jerusalem <clears throat> and then they would use it to flavor their food and use it to preservatives and all those things we talked about just a little while ago. But if, if it was exposed to light and air or maybe it was placed on the ground where it came in contact with the earth and became contaminated, as it became contaminated by heat, light, and air and earth, it would lose its savor. It would become contaminated. And when that happened... I said, well, that's not any good anymore. So they would use it like you and I might use, uh, call over to the rock quarry and get a load of gravel or chat, you know, a little fine crushed up limestone and, and throw it. We had out here in front of the church for a long, long time before we got it blacktopped. We had a limestone parking lot. And, and there's a lot, of, a lot of you probably have it on your driveway. I've got it on my driveway, crushed limestone. And so in this day, when the salt lost its savor, 
it became no good for seasoning or using for wound care and things like that. When it lost its savor, lost its strength, lost its goodness, they would throw it on the footpath for gravel. And they'd walk on it and keep your feet out of the mud. Anybody walking in the snow the last few days or in the mud? And as this stuff thaws, you're going to be walking in more mud than you are snow. Well, uh, if you've got some gravel there, it kind of keeps you up out of the mud. And that's what they use the salt for. In other words, when the salt lost its savor, it was not valuable anymore. They threw it down and they just walked on it. And as a Christian, we don't want to lose our savor and just become, our testimony is so weak that people trample on our testimony. And if somebody says, well, if, if that's an example of a Christian, I don't want to be like him. He's a hypocrite, or he's a nobody. Uh, he's not real. And so then when our testimony becomes that weak, we get trodden under the foot of men. Every Christian needs to understand that when we lose our saltiness we lose our function as a Christian in this world see God didn't just save us to give us a fire insurance against hell now I'm glad I'm not going to hell but he saved me for more than just staying out of hell he saved me to bring him glory and the way I can bring him glory is by living a life like he meant for me to live to have these characteristics that we've covered in the Beatitudes he, he wanted me to live a life that would produce an influence in the world. And when I'm finished in this world and when I leave this world, I'm hoping that somehow, somewhere, some way, I've influenced somebody's life for the better to bring them closer to Jesus Christ. Every one of us must ask ourselves that question. What have you done to influence your family for Christ? You know, there's an old country song where they say, Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Uh, I'd say, Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be lost, to be Christ haters and Christ rejecters. And the reason that falls on a lot of mama's shoulders is because daddy's out of the picture in a lot of cases. And that's why the, the family unit is being torn down and destroyed because people uh, in our society today, for the most part, those who are not in not saved and not involved in church. Their life is spent on bringing pleasure to themselves instead of bringing glory to God. And if we don't bring glory to God, it won't bring glory to God for me to go down uh, and play, uh, play some sports. It won't bring glory to God for your kids to drop out of church on Wednesday nights and play Little League baseball or softball. I'm not against sports. I'm just saying if it replaces church, it's not a good thing. And we have to be, you say, but what if that's the only night they can play? What if it's required for me to, to take them on Wednesday night? Stand up and say, be salty. Say, I wish you wouldn't have this on Wednesday night because we're going to have to miss it in order to go to church. We've got, we, we're in desperate need of some salty Christians who just stand up and say no. And they do it politely, not as a jerk. They say, no, you, we had church long Wednesday nights, long before this little league ever started. <laughs> and, and we had, uh, we had uh, church on, on Sundays long before we uh, had uh, the uh, softball fields and the volleyball practice and pickleball, whatever that is. And we had church long before that. And people used to respect church. 
But now they're designing things to replace church. That's where salty Christians comes in. And they just say, no, I'd like to play. I'd like to be involved, but I can't do it. The Lord comes first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. That's what the Bible says. And so we as salty Christians have a preserving effect on our society. And I've just asked each of us to consider our own lives this evening and see if our life is really like salt in the world or are we just being kind of bulldozed into conforming to our society. There's some things that I'm just not going to change. And when it comes to compromising, I'm willing to compromise. If my wife and I go out to eat and... I say, honey, where do you want to go? And she says, well, it doesn't matter to me. And I say, well, it don't matter to me either. Where do you want to go? It don't matter. You choose. And so I start to pull in. I start to pull in at uh, the restaurant. And she says, oh, we're not eating here, are we? <laughs> uh, I don't mind compromising on where we're going to eat supper. You know, I don't mind compromising over whether your coat is blue or black or red. I don't mind compromising on what color the carpet is. But I do mind compromising on the word of God. And I do mind compromising on the things of God and service to God and, and submitting my family to the things of God. And so the Bible says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So if it doesn't matter if it's a family member or some well-meaning friend or some entertainment venue that says, look, you don't need to go to church every time the doors are open. Well, that's the way the devil got in the door with Adam and Eve. It won't hurt you to just look at it. Maybe take a little taste, you know. God's just not wanting you to have fun. And Eve fell for it. <laughs> well, people are still falling for the devil's lies today, and he wants us to compromise just a little bit on those important scriptural things. And that's why the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We just refuse to compromise on that. We can compromise on things that's unimportant. What brand of car you have, what brand of shoes you buy, but we better not compromise on the things of God. Be a salty Christian. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the passage of Scripture that we've studied tonight. Help us, Lord, to get it anchored into our heart just to become rock-solid, steadfast Christians that we're not bitter, we're not angry, we're not mad at the world. We, we love the world. We want to see them saved. But the best way to lead them to you, Lord, is by being salty Christians. I pray that you'd bless us tonight during the invitation time.